0: night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here as we kick off another week of great programming, great guests, great interviews, the whole thing. Looking forward to this week of shows. We're going to kick it off tonight by talking about ghosts and the supernatural. Amelia Cotter will be our guest. Amelia is an author and a storyteller. And tonight she'll be sharing true tales of ghosts, the supernatural, and her own personal paranormal experiences. You may have seen her on TV. She's been on a bunch of shows. She's also written a bunch of books, including This House, The True Story of a Girl and a Ghost, and also Marilyn Ghosts, Paranormal Encounters, in the free state, and others. So we're looking forward to the conversation tonight with Amelia. We won't uh, take too much of your time before we get to that, but I do want to look ahead in the week. Corin Grillo will be with us tomorrow night, author of a book, The Angel Experiment, and founder of the Angel Academy, uh, the Angel Alchemy Academy. And she has helped thousands of people all over the world go from angel-curious to angel-powered. That's tomorrow night's show. Wednesday, Ronald Meyer will be here, filmmaker and author of the new book, Bigfoot Singularity. He says that Bigfoot is actually an alien creature with paraphysical and paranormal capabilities. That's a new perspective. A lot of people talking about that. And uh, Ronald will be talking about that Wednesday night. And then Thursday, Greg Doyle, who is also an author. He's a healer and an astral traveler. He'll tell us how to separate our astral bodies from our physical bodies in order to explore the universe. That's Thursday night's program. So a lot of great stuff coming up. One of the things you need to do is go to the YouTube channel. It's easy to find. It's just my name, JV Johnson. Search for it and subscribe. Become a part of that group because we have a great back log or catalog, I guess it is, of uh, back episodes of the show. Plus we stream live there. If you don't have a radio station in your marketplace, it's a great way to catch the show. Again, just go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson, and subscribe to the channel so you can be part of what we have going on there. There's a great chat room during the live shows as well. Uh, Also, find us on Facebook at Beyond Reality Radio and also J.V. Johnson. Like both of those pages to stay on top of what we've got going on. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we will bring in our guest. Again, tonight we're talking with Amelia Cotter about ghosts and the supernatural. It's beyond reality radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products, and all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark, because you deserve to save, too. Become a shark and save. Our guest tonight, Amelia Cotter, is an author, a poet, a storyteller, with a special interest in the supernatural, history, and folklore. Her books include This House, The True Story of a Girl and a Ghost, Marilyn Ghosts, Paranormal Encounters in the Free State, and the children's book Breakfast with Bigfoot. Amelia, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here tonight.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be on.
0: It is great to have you here. You are a poet, you're an author, you're a story storyteller, plus you have a real sincere interest in the paranormal and the supernatural. Which of all of those things came first for you?
1: Whew, um, I guess my interest in the supernatural came first. Um, I started going to the library when I was a real little kid, back when everything was just the occult section and all of the ghost story books and everything were all in that one place. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, I don't know, I've been obsessed with ghosts and ghost stories since I was little.
0: Does the paranormal interest you because you've had experiences at that age or did you just uh, see something along the way that made you curious?
1: Well, I was definitely, I mean, I started out just as curious and always fascinated by that topic, and my mom was really interested in that topic, too, and she had all these cool old dusty, like, you know, like Ray Bradbury books, and she would always read The the Exorcist and Amityville Horror every year, and so I think I I got that spirit in me, kind of, and then um, when I was about 10 is when I had, like, my first, I would say like very like real one of the most profound uh experiences that I've ever had actually that happened when I was a, a kid um as a result of my interest in becoming like a little junior ghost hunter I explored a, a local house um near uh in Baltimore County close to where I grew up in, in Maryland and uh, ended up actually seeing a, an apparition for the first and only time that I've ever, <laughs> that I've ever uh, say, can confirm, I suppose I would say that I saw a ghost.
0: You know, you, you, you mentioned something that's really actually quite interesting to me. You said your mother was reading books like the Amityville Horror and The Exorcist, plus there were movies on those same, you know, based on those books and those stories. There was a real uh, pop culture uh, force to be reckoned with when it came to the paranormal throughout the 70s up and in, in, into the 80s. And, and I, I separate it from what we might consider to be horror movies, even though some would say those films were horror films, and I agree they probably are in so, to some extent. But the fact that they were talking about those topics, with Amityville, they were talking about a very, very serious haunting in a home. With The Exorcist, they were talking about a de- demonic possession. Uh, pop culture really grabbed a hold of those themes, and it's, I guess, no wonder why people who... Um, lived through that time whether it was themselves or their parents might be uh, might be drawn to it
1: yeah i would i that's actually one of the things that I've also kind of studied and looked at is um, people's relationships with the paranormal um, like comparing that against what's happening in pop culture um, at the time like that sort of that 70s 80s um, grip of interest in those types of Horror movies and the, the real life cases that uh, inspired them, and you know all this kind of stuff. And I think I definitely I got swept up in that when I was a little kid. I also um, I grew up around the time that scary stories was like one of the most banned books, <laughs> and I remember loving that those books and those illustrations. The um, and growing up with that real that interest in folklore too, uh, for me was real big.
0: When you look at a paranormal story, if you will, or, uh, a, you know, you go to check out a haunting or something, um, what's more exciting to you, finding the ghost or learning the history of the location?
1: So, <laughs> I love that you asked that question. I um, I sort of, I do, I do parse it out into separate categories, right? For me, there's the history of the location, there's the stories and the legends about the location, uh, which... You know, which may or may not be true, because then there's people's actual, real, uh, you know, ghost encounters and whatever ghosts may actually be haunting the place. So I sort of try to, you know, I separate the three. Um, for me, the most exciting part has always been the big mystery. So a lot of the the lore, um, as far as finding real ghosts, I have to say, I haven't always had the best luck with that.
0: <laughs> You're not alone. Um, although. You're not no, alone. In that. You know, you're not alone in that.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I've had some really 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 cool experiences, but I do, you know, prescribe to that kind of that wisdom that like ghost hunting can be very it can be very tedious and boring. Um, but I'd still get excited by the thrill of you know being of having that making a connection or you know um, exploring a place. But I think to go way back to your your question, I think it's really the history and the stories that excite me the most.
0: Yeah, I think that um, at least for a lot of us, haunting or a uh, even if even if you can get evidence of a ghost in a location it loses a lot of its meaning if you don't know the story that that goes along with whatever that is. I mean, it's the connection to a real place and a real time at some point that makes it meaningful.
1: I completely agree. So I, you know, growing up in Maryland, I had the opportunity to visit a lot of really wonderful historic places. And by the time I got to college, I... Um, I, I got to work at the National Museum of Civil War Medicine in Frederick, and they opened a sister site on the Antietam battlefield in what was the Pry House, which had stood empty for, for many years. And I sort of learned there about that sort of, like, embracing of... um the embracing of ghost stories as a way to bring history to life for people. So there's a way to do it gracefully without it being cheesy or without it being disrespectful or disparaging to the histories and the stories, especially people's tragedies and everything. Um, but kind of, I mean, now I know it's more, it's like a big business to have a haunted place, right? Because you can really capitalize on that. But, uh, but really having, giving people a way to connect to the past through ghost stories, and then if the place happens to really be haunted, then that's, you know, it's a bonus, too. <laughs> um,
0: you mentioned Antietam. Um, one of the yeah. things that our, our folks may not know is that the Antietam battle in the Civil War was actually the, uh, that battle uh, is boasts, if you want to call it that, the single bloodiest day in American history. Um, more people died on one of one day of that battle, and I don't remember which, of probably the uh, first, second, or third day of the battle, but more people died on that day than any other. Although Gettysburg had more casualties, they weren't all concentrated in one day. So that's a particularly poignant uh, battle in the Civil War, and that's a particularly... Um, Blood-soaked area, if you will, let me use that phrase. Um, yeah, you know the civil war, and that was
1: about that was around like twenty three thousand people, I want to say on, and that was the date was September seventeenth, eighteen sixty two. Um, and that was so the place that I worked at the Pry House. Wow. Uh, they, it, it was a field. It had been used as a field hospital because it was only like a, a mile or so from the the battlefield itself, and it was also McQuillan's headquarters. Um, so they the, the you know the army kind of came in and took over these poor people's house and uh, and then ended up using it as a field hospital. And like you said, it, I mean that sort of just the the blood and the gore and the the everything that was all taking place at, at these people's like private home and on their grounds and in their barn and everything. I mean you can yeah. it was it was intense just working there. Um, just a cute, cute little house on a hill, and it was just—it had a very
0: intense atmosphere. Well, we have to remember too that uh, battlefield metal medicine was very barbaric at the time. Um, there was no ana- anesthesia. There was no uh, medicines per se. It was just basically a saw, and if you were uh, wounded in a limb, you lost the limb because there was no other way to protect you from uh, becoming infected and getting gangrene or whatever other infections were going to basically kill you. Um, if you had a wound in your uh, torso, you were most likely going to die. I mean, it was that barbaric then.
1: A lot of, I I mean, they, they did, they started a lot of... Uh, you know, medical innovations around that time, like the triage system first came into play and they they did their best with, with what they had. And there was, I mean... I think when I was a kiddo, I got my tonsils out, and I think they gave me ether. And I think no, no. that ether is what they had available to give to people for some some type of anesthesia. But, like, yeah, amputation was really the way to go because it was kind of the only way to ensure that, like, you weren't going to languish with some horrific infection. And there was, uh, you know, all these just gruesome stories about, you know, people waking up with rats gnawing on their Mm. Exposed limbs and stuff like that, but, um, but they you know, they implemented plastic surgery for the first time, which was not, you know, which did not leave be you looking beautiful or anything, but like really, uh, just incredible stuff. But then, of course, there's the there was the iconic photo of like the pile of arms and legs in front of the windowsill. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had that hanging there at the project. Yeah. Wow,
0: yeah, and a lot of those innovations in medicine that you talk about were luxury innovations. They couldn't be used in the heat of a of a battle uh, hospital, a field hospital, when you know you had dozens of casualties coming in. You know, every minute, um, it, it was pretty chaotic. But it, the whole point here is that it creates a lot of this energy that we often point to that might fuel some type of paranormal activity. Did you happen to a sense that energy when you were there? And B, did you notice any connections with paranormal activity at all?
1: Yeah. So I worked, so between the national museum of civil war medicine, which was in the old building in Frederick and the, the pry house, uh, field hospital museum, I worked there, um, for about four years. So I, was also I worked in the visitor services realm. so there were times when I would be the only person in the building at the beginning or the end of the day. And I had a lot of uh, a lot of time there <laughs> to become like uh, intimately acquainted, I guess, with the place. And I do remember an interesting thing about the Pry house is that in the morning when you would go to open it up, you know, and you're opening it up like you would a museum. Uh, the first thing I would feel when I stepped through the door was like I was walking into somebody's house and like everybody in the whole house was sort of like turning their heads and thinking, like, who who's that? Like, why is there somebody here? Um, I just had this feeling that I was intruding on somebody else's space, that something else was going on around me, uh, and that it wasn't I I didn't feel unwelcome. I just felt like I didn't belong there because this was their place. And then um, the people who ran the museum were very uh, ghost forward, which is a term I'm just making up right now. But like, they were very friendly about the ghost stories. They embraced the ghost. They all had wild ghost stories to tell about, like seeing the ghost of Mrs. Richardson, Israel Richardson's wife. He he was a general who died in the house. He stayed. He was languished in a bed for like six months before he died. Um, and her ghost is allegedly seen there. Um, I had one experience there that was what I would consider to be wild and crazy, which was that I was closing up at the end of the day, and it was totally empty. The parking lot was empty; nobody had been around since the afternoon. It was really hot out, um, and the somebody put the alarm system uh, halfway down the basement stairs. So every time you had to set the alarm at the end of the day, you were like <laughs> running up and down stairs because, you know, even though I was a grown woman, um, I set the alarm. And as I was walking back up the basement stairs, I heard a man shout across the house. And this was a type of place where you could, your voice would carry through the whole place. And he just shouted a sentence, just a very mundane sort of, I couldn't understand what he said. It was just a very like, you know, oh, is she still here? Like just something very, you know, not unfriendly. He had a slight southern drawl. I could hear it just clear as a bell. And I continued my routine of walking out the door and closing it behind me. And then I needed like about 30 seconds to realize what had just happened, which is that I was completely alone in the house. I had shut the house down. There were no cars in the parking lot. It was just me. And what I heard was this disembodied voice. And then by the time I got to the car, I was like shaking and I felt I wasn't really scared. I was more like I was like awestruck that I that I was sort of lucky enough to have had this, uh, this experience to have heard this voice. I felt like that was my one like sure connection that I had with, with, you know, the spirits there that they acknowledged me, I guess.
0: Amelia, we got a sense of how you became interested in paranormal topics and the supernatural. How did you become a writer? When did that start for you?
1: Um, so my journey to writing is a little, um, it's interesting. Um, or at least I think it's interesting. I, um, and also, I apologize. This is past my bedtime, so I may have over caffeinated uh, in my efforts <laughs> to, to be awake and interesting for you guys. So I feel like I'm going to like use the same you know adjectives over and over again. But anyway, um, so I I wanted to be a writer since I was little. It was sort of in tandem with my interest in ghost stories and these great old books and the library and stuff. That it was my dream to be a writer. Um, I wrote stories um, all through, you know, school and everything. And when I got to the end of college, I um, I still had the, the goal and the dream of being a writer one day. And shortly after college, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin lymphoma, and I was very, very ill. And I was, uh, at that time then, inspired to... Um, really look at making my dreams come true sooner than later, uh, which sounds cheesy, but I moved to Chicago after my treatment, and I was all better, and I am all better, obviously. Good for you. Um, I'm doing pretty great. Thank you. And um, I just, I don't know, it just lit a fire under my butt. So I, when I moved to Chicago, I was very young, but I got involved in the ghost hunting community here um, because, you know, there's a lot of big names, a lot of the, you know, Ursula Bielski and all these great people and big influencers and stuff that are out in Chicago, and I was writing and trying to make contacts in the writing community, and it, it, magic, magic happened. So I was kind of able to to break in uh, to publishing through various avenues, but that's how that kind of happened. Um, And then sort of, it kind of took off on it. It became its own thing. So originally I just wanted to write stories about ghosts because I thought that would be cool. And then it turned into like, oh, like some radio appearances here and there. And then we're going to go do like, oh, I've been invited to speak about it. And then it became a bigger and bigger and bigger thing until it sort of turned into this great, I don't know, this little empire that I've created. So I'm really excited and, uh, you know, yeah. That's
0: all. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start with uh, poetry or stories, fiction, nonfiction? How'd you? What'd you start writing?
1: I started out uh, my very first story that, uh, that ended up becoming a book, which was my third book, was Breakfast with Bigfoot, which was a little story for children ages three through six. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a children's book author. And then I also wrote uh, this house. I wrote this house when I was yet, super young and then kind of polished it over time. And that I, I self-published that initially in like 2009, and then it ended up uh, doing really well on its on its own um i didn't have any sort of strategy at the time i think like it was good good marketing at the time people interested in true ghost stories and things like that so that happened very magically and it got picked up by a small publisher and uh things kind of spiraled from there
0: you the poetry you've written has a pretty serious tone at least some of it does um Topics like yeah. alienation, isolation, anxiety. Uh, did this come from personal experiences, or are you, were you looking to reach out and help others, or both? Uh,
1: both. So um, I have found that over the years, um, it's been very cool to connect with people over things like ghost stories and mutual interest in folklore and supernatural and stuff. But it's also, I have found a way to sort of reach people and touch people through my cancer story, Um And at the same time, I do. I have chronic anxiety. I think like mental health is something that we we all are starting to feel more comfortable talking about now. And I also have OCD. So I, um, there are other things I like to write about, and you know, like that don't have to do with the paranormal. So I sort of I also indulge that side. I do write. I write fiction. I write some horror fiction, and then some poetry and things like that to deal more with those topics
0: as you uh entered into this world of of calling yourself an author or, or writing or whatever however it's defined, um, did you find that uh, the stories that you were you were telling um, can, you drew personal experience f- to help inspire those? I know that some of them are collections of other people's stories as well, but uh, how much of yourself is in these stories? Um, huh,
1: that's a good question I guess. Um, since I guess I am personally inspired since I find the topic fascinating, I'm actually just as happy to tell other people's stories. And that's another, that's a project I have coming up this year as I want to do another book of other people's stories and showcasing people's, um, you know, experiences and stuff like that. Um, there is a lot of myself in the work, but I also try to separate myself from it in some ways too. Like I try to disassociate myself i find sometimes it's like my identity as a paranormal investigator and things like that so um there's a there's some duality there i guess
0: as you collect stories and have your own personal paranormal experiences with all the stuff that comes together what type what Type of experiences excite you the most? Is it uh, is it you know people seeing apparitions? Is it um, EVPs? What gives you the most excitement that makes you actually want to write about a story?
1: The thing that excites me the absolute most that I have always loved have been uh, people's sensory experiences with ghosts and the paranormal. So I am personally sure I'm excited about, like, the evidence that people capture if they're on investigations and stuff like that. But, like, a good old classic, like, this was something that happened to me and it meant, you know, I lived in a haunted house or uh, I was driving down the street, you know, back road one night, something like that. Like, those are my favorite stories, and the stories where people's five senses are engaged with you know, with what's happening around them and then how it affected them that I really love.
0: We have uh, a lot to talk about. and I don't want to get into the books yet because um, I'm going to save that for the second hour of the show. And I I also know you've done some TV work as well. But just kind of on the surface, you've investigated, you've written about this stuff. You've appeared on television talking and investigating paranormal uh, activity as well. What of all that do you like doing the best?
1: Oh boy, that is, that's another good question. Um, well, I, God, I guess, <laughs> I guess the writing part, I do like the best. Um, of course I would, I want to say that I loved television the best because I really did want to love television, the best. <laughs> um, but that was extremely, extremely stressful. Um, but I, um, recently or I have an upcoming appearance on the the travel channel where I was just kind of one of those like voice of authority people that has interviewed for like 20 minutes about something cool. And then hopefully I'll look smart. And I'm like, well, okay, I really enjoyed doing that. I would like to do that again, where, <laughs> you know, not have the camera on me the whole time, but just be able to give, give some fun facts and be like that cool lady who does this cool thing. So, you know, but the writing is really like the romantic part for me.
0: I don't know how current uh, the information on your website is. I think it's pretty current. Uh, but it had said you were currently reading uh, the d- demonologist, the the uh, story about uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. have you finished it? Um, first of all,
1: I did. I just I just wrapped it up um, a couple of weeks ago.
0: What did you think? And um, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Ed and Lorraine's work.
1: Um, I found the book very interesting. So the person who wrote the book obviously really loves the Warrens, and it's a great homage to them. And the person also says, in the beginning, there's a segment where he he says that a lot of what he, a lot of the interview footage, or I guess whatever you want to call it, in the book is paraphrased, and maybe not their exact words. So I kind of kept that in mind, because there's a lot of long chapters where it seems like Ed is just talking and talking, but it, it might not really be, like, taken from... Tapes or anything. It's sort of like the author takes those liberties, but he says so. Um, it's to me, it was it had a very it, that sort of very white Catholic good versus evil kind of um, mentality that I think is part of the allure and the mystique of the Warrens, and it was part of that seventies and eighties, like what you were mentioning earlier, like people getting caught up in a lot of these fascinating. Cases, I think it just explores one facet of the paranormal and our understanding of the paranormal, because um, it's that just that one piece of culture and religion. Um, I did find it fascinating, and I find the Warrens also fascinating. I've always heard from people that have met Lorraine that she was like the warmest, nicest person. Um, beyond that, I don't. Beyond that, I don't really know what to think. I, I like. I want to say it's too soon to start talking about it but i do like i have a lot of questions you know yeah.
0: so well they're interesting yeah, polarizing
1: and, people for sure
0: well and and there's no question that they uh blazed a trail and they were um you know they were charting uh new territory for paranormal investigations without question and all of us that have done that work since uh owe a little bit if not a lot of uh, gratitude to the work that they did because they opened a lot of doors having said that a lot of their work's controversial I'm sure you ran. You've run into some of that yourself. Um, some of their cases have been, uh, you know, put in question.
1: Yeah, it seems like uh, the controversy, you know, kind of followed them wherever they went, and. I can empathize with that on the one hand because I feel like people who are skeptical as well as people who are strong believers in the paranormal are the worst critics of other people who are trying to do work in the paranormal. Um, So, you know, you kind of get hit with both barrels. So I can see how they, you know, and they were accused of, you know, wanting to make money off of stuff, but they really didn't they really they didn't accept money for you know for doing cases and things like that and they did a lot of classes and lectures at schools and you know they were very passionate about you know what they what they were doing. And they started out as artists, which I also found was really interesting. Like they started out selling their art and their art had kind of an interesting paranormal theme. And that kind of reminded me of myself where I started out just thinking that like, it would be really cool and fun to write ghost stories. And then it's be, and then it turned into something bigger. So I definitely, I resonate with that.
0: Do you think items like paintings, furniture can be haunted?
1: I, I can't say that I don't. I mean, I I I believe in the idea that places, people, and objects can be can be haunted.
0: They can be haunted and or have but attachment. They can. they can Yeah, and that, uh, uh, and and that, that, I guess that would include just having an attachment of some kind as well.
1: I think so. It's hard for me to pinpoint because um, another. Another thing that I have discovered personally is that the the more I research and study and the more that I've done investigations on my own, there's there's just so much that uh, it's hard after a while to have like hard and fast conclusions about things because you see, you always see or experience something that uh, or hear a story about something that adds, you know, it adds a little bit what you already know and you think oh man i i actually don't know (laughs) um so i'm open i'm open to all possibilities and uh i don't know how or you know what ghosts really are but i can definitely say that i believe that different different types of objects can be haunted
0: well one of my next questions was going to be what are ghosts but (laughs) you just answered that one and i think that's a good yeah (laughs) i try to go ahead
1: no i was going to say like i uh I I talk in front of like multiple kinds of audiences right so people who are super hardcore into the supernatural and then people who are maybe like just dipping a toe in the water or think it's uh you know maybe think it's interesting or maybe even think I'm going to be like you know a nut job or something like that so I always try to tell people like listen I don't know what ghosts are I'm using the word ghost or you know I'm using words that we use in general you know terms to define these things but really I, I don't understand what they are Part of the excitement for me personally is not understanding what they are. These great mysteries of life and death are things that I think we should all have the opportunity to take part in in wondering about. Um, But I always make that clear. Like, I don't have the answers, but I have really cool, you know, stories and questions.
0: Amelia, it says you play banjo. Um, this is kind of a short segment, but good opportunity to learn a little bit more about that. Do you uh, you play a lot? Is it something new for you, or what's your what's your level there?
1: I do. So um, I've been playing for about two years. Um, I'm not great, but I'm not terrible either. So I play clawhammer and two finger style uh, old time banjo. Well, that's fun. And yeah, I can carry a tune. So. Uh, it's not too bad. I would. I, you should really interview my neighbors about their feelings on it. But uh, I think I sound
0: okay. <laughs> well, it's pro- it's probably not electric banjo, so you're probably able to keep the level okay.
1: It, it doesn't have a resonator, so I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it's, it's too annoying. But I have. I do hear occasionally when people walk by, I can hear them stop and listen as if they're like, "Is that a banjo?" Or, I don't know, maybe I'm imagining things, but, uh, but yeah.
0: One of our fill-in producers here, Arturo, uh, talks frequently about the fact he just started taking banjo lessons. So, um, you'll have to give him some inspiration at some point. He's not here tonight, though. We've got a couple minutes here before we have to go to the top of the hour break. Your first book, if I heard you correctly, was the uh, Breakfast with Bigfoot book?
1: Yeah, so, um, to be honest, that's the first one that I wrote. It's the third one that I had published, Okay. Though. Um, the first one that I had published was This House, The True Story of a Girl and a Ghost.
0: Why, if it was the first one you wrote, given the experiences you've shared with us, why Bigfoot?
1: Well, and that, so, I only have a few minutes, damn it. Um, so We
0: well, can pick it up on the other side if you need to.
1: I was, I became fascinated by uh, Bigfoot along the way, too. I know people don't usually uh toggle between like ghosts and bigfoot and ufos people usually like pick one thing um but i do i do love some good bigfoot stories and that book is actually based on the uh the true story that has been covered pretty extensively in the media about a man uh who had claimed that he had been abducted by a bigfoot that uh took him to like his nest in the woods and kind of like protected him overnight and he met a family of big feet or bigfoots and i remember reading this story and thinking this would make a great children's book and turning it into like something for for little kids with a child a little girl as the main character um it just took me forever to publish it because the world of publishing is its own crazy thing, and children's publishing is a really like cutthroat area of the industry, as it turns out. And I had, it took me a long time to, to like secure a publisher to, to do that book. So that's why it came last, but I had a ball writing it, you know.
0: We um, talk about F- Bigfoot on this program a lot, obviously. We have about 30 seconds here. Do you have an opinion as to whether Bigfoot is a flesh and blo- blood creature? We've got a guest coming on later in the week that believes there's an alien connection or an interdimensional connection. Any thoughts?
1: I don't. I have, uh, this is like one of those rabbit holes that I love to go down, and I love to hear people's theories on it.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the book, This House, the True Story of a Girl and a Ghost. What is that about? Is it a fictional story based on a true true account, or what is it?
1: It's um, it's a little bit of both. So um, let me explain. It, um, you know, like I said, I started off as a writer not knowing I was going to totally segue into the wild world of, of paranormal investigation and things like that. So it's also a a young adult book, which has been primarily read by an adult audience who's looking for true paranormal investigation type of stuff. Um, It's a narrative, it's a story that's based on my experiences that includes my real journal entries at the end of the book. So the journal entries, which I also have physical copies of, and I take them to my various lectures and presentations so people know that I didn't make it up. Um, But, uh, you know, it kind of combines both of those things so that people can take a look at it. And it's an interesting view of, you know, memory and interpretation and perspective um and then a lot of people do appreciate the true story elements and then other people say why didn't you just write the whole damn thing as a true story but i had different intentions at the time when i wrote it than to become somebody who was uh going to be in this world of like true paranormal investigation so
0: do you consider yourself yeah do you do you consider yourself (laughs) to be a ghost hunter
1: I try I avoid that term like the plague um and yet I but you know if if I die and that's how people remember me that's fine too because like most people a lot of people think it's really cool so uh I it's just one of those things that uh I have struggled with it, I've struggled with finding my comfort zone with with ghost hunting and paranormal investigation. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the adventure part of it. Maybe I'm not cut out for it um, the way other people are. Um, I'm more of just like, I just like to sneak around and explore stuff. I'm not a disciplined, like, investigator, really, by any means, I wouldn't say. Uh, but I appreciate people who are... Um, but I also, I like to be known more for the other stuff than for the ghost hunting part, I guess.
0: What fascinates you most about the supernatural? We've talked about the histor- the historical component of all of this, but just the actual supernatural itself. What fascinates you the most?
1: Just, uh, I've always, I guess it's like that wonder and curiosity about the world that we live in and things the possibilities of the things that are all around us. You know, I spent I'm an only child, I spent a lot of time alone when I was a kid. Uh it was just very important for me to believe that uh that other that there were these other cool things going on around me, I guess. Um which sounds kind of trite I I guess. But in a way, um I I don't know, I grew up in a small town too, so I was always fascinated by like back roads and cemeteries at night and abandoned places and just sort of like I had this romantic idea of like look at all these cool things that are that are around me that I have access to that make life more interesting um and then I think everybody of course has that fascination level with with death or you know the other side and it manifests in different ways for me it manifested in an interest in the supernatural
0: I want to read a story to you that uh, it's been in the news, I think, a couple of days. But I find it very interesting, particularly because of its connection to uh, what would be considered a very probably one of the best ghost movies ever made. Um, but there's a headline that says Forgotten Cemetery with over 120 coffins found buried beneath a temp- Tampa apartment complex. And apparently using ground penetrating radar, um, it's been uncovered that there are about 120 coffins presumably um not empty under an apartment complex in Tampa Florida it's the uh remains of a lost cemetery and mm-hmm. uh, people are obviously freaking out about it um and they're trying to decide what to do about it the story itself has you know a whole bunch of different elements that make it very very disturbing but from a paranormal perspective what are your thoughts on that story
1: well i know that uh you know, here in Chicago, where I currently reside, we roll like that all the time. There's all sorts of stuff <laughs> built over top of known burial grounds. Um, and I ha- I also have heard many stories and have even had experiences myself of, you know, brand new places being haunted, so brand new apartment complexes or schools or even grocery stores. And uh, I suppose, you know, and that would be why if it's built if you build something brand new over top of of a burial ground or a sacred place or a place where something else existed where ghosts and spirits may have may still be, then I I imagine that place would be haunted. Um that is if you also prescribe to the idea that people haunt the places where they're buried, but I would definitely – I'd probably haunt the place where I was buried if I was buried underneath, you know, with like stuffed in with like 120 other coffins underneath the building because I think I'd be pretty angry about that. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Paris notoriously has a uh, labyrinth of catacombs underneath the city in which uh, many, many cemeteries were um, dug up and the remains of those individuals, which at th- that point were um, basically reduced to skeletons – were placed into these catacombs stacked by their bone type in other words all the head you know all the skulls are in one place all the femurs are in another place um so you have a whole city paris built over what would be considered a burial ground at this point um do you think that that is fuel for paranormal activity
1: I think it can be but i think it's also important to discern like people's um like commonly accepted uh, burial uh, practices. So, like, um, people have known for for centuries that it's it's a European standard to sometimes um, to leave a body buried in a certain place and then remove the remains after a certain amount of time, condense the remains into, like, a a bag or something like that, and then put another body in that place and wait a year or something like that, um, so that people, because a lot of people are buried together or stacked together, and so there are different like burial practices around the world and like funerary practices where people kind of are aware that this is what's going to happen to them after they die, or they accept that. And I think that is that's a little different than if you just build like a parking lot over top of like you know uh, Chicago City Cemetery, like Lincoln Park. Now you they built a a parking lot for the Chicago History Museum and then they were they unearthed 85 bodies and parts of bodies or wow. 81 bodies and parts of bodies and so then then they had to figure out what to do with the remains people sometimes in the Gold Coast here they'll dig up they'll be renovating their house and they'll dig up a body um and so i i think but i i do still think it could be I guess if people are buried very close together, um, then yes, it could absolutely be fuel for paranormal activity. I think it also depends on the people themselves and what we're more likely to haunt. Are we more likely to haunt our remains and where we're buried or places that we loved or, or where tragedy occurred?
0: Yeah, we, we talk about that frequently, and it, it makes more sense, and it seems to bear out in whatever what little evidence we can collect that... The more likely haunted place would be a place that uh, the spirit or the deceased is more fond of and which tend would probably not be the cemetery not be where, be where they're buried right. but having said that i I posed this question on my facebook page today and um I, I you know we it's 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 more of a food for thought than it is a real paranormal question but if you could visit one gravesite to do an evP session whose grave site would you want to go to
1: wow um Boy, I don't know. I think I need time to think about that.
0: But I want to learn a little bit more about your TV work. What have you done so far? What do you like doing?
1: Well, um, I was a regular cast member on a show called The R.I.P. Files, which aired, which is available. It's available on Amazon Prime and uh, Pluto TV and places like that. It did air um and still does air in the UK actually on Re- on the really channel it is a paranormal investigation show it's you know it's it's fun it's cool it's primarily a group of of women uh and there is more of a bent on using some interesting metaphysical techniques but also uh you know the equipment and gadgets and things like that too so i filmed two seasons of that show between i think 2014 and 16 and those are available like i said on amazon prime and if you live in the uk you can just turn on your tv and watch it on really
0: did it uh, is it exclusively or did it um is it exclusively on amazon prime or did it previously on a network as well
1: it did it actually aired on various networks around the uh around the world, not in the u s however, oh, wow. so it was uh um so not here in the u s it's only available here on amazon pluto t v and like the usual places like where you can stream stuff
0: and then you did some work where you said you're um more of an authority uh, kind of an expert being called upon
1: yeah. I I um I've been in a couple of documentaries. So I was in the Scary Stories documentary, which is the documentary about the book series, not the movie, <laughs> uh, that came out this summer. Um and I hosted a documentary about the Tinker Swiss cottage in Rockford, Illinois. And then uh, I've done some other random odd appearances, but then the thing that I've got coming up that I'm excited about is the Travel Channel has a new show coming out called Hometown Horror, (laughs) and that's going to start airing on Mondays, starting November 18th, so next Monday, and I'll be on, on December 2nd. Um, I don't know if I have time to explain. It'll be yeah, a it's a show minutes. about like weird weird history in, in small towns across the US and so I uh, my husband and I both will actually be on there talking about Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is a really, really neat town and some of the folklore there and some of the history.
0: That sounds like it's a lot of fun. And that uh you, you're just on one episode or you're gonna going to be featured regularly?
1: Just in that one episode is the one that we filmed for, and I've done a little bit of consulting here and there with some other travel channel shows, and I'm hoping to have more of those opportunities because I do like that. I like having that, like, you know, this is your topic. We want you to come and talk about it. Doing that Voice of Authority thing has been, like, I really, really enjoyed that.
0: I also noted that you're reading the Game of Thrones books. Uh, haven't seen the television show yet. Are you intending to finish the books and then uh, then watch the show?
1: Yeah, so I'm planning, you know, strategically to maybe finish <laughs> finish the book and then, uh, like, I don't know, get my free trial of, there like, HBO on yeah. Hulu and then just do the whole thing in, like, a week. Yeah, you get
0: seven <laughs> days, right? Seven-day free trial. yeah yep. It all. yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it has been done. I'm going to give it a shot.
0: Yeah. Um, it, I, I I don't know uh, what you've heard, but obviously Game of Thrones, quite a phenomenon for a while. I will say, and we only have a minute here, so I'm kinda, I don't want to get into another one of the books or the stories, but um, I will say I was quite disappointed with the way it ended up.
1: I heard that from a lot of people. I didn't know how it ended because I avoided spoilers, yeah. but I heard that there was some sadness.
0: Yeah. Oh, well. I won't ruin it for you. I won't give you any spoilers. Okay. Um, In the minute minute we've got left here, before we have to go to the uh, next break, tell people uh, more about where they can find your work. I've mentioned the website, but mention again your Facebook page, whatever you want to mention, and uh, let people know where they can find the books, too.
1: Absolutely. So I love connecting with people. I've got my website. I've got Facebook. I have my personal and my fan page, whatever you want to call it. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can connect with me there. you can email me. all of my information is on my website. You can find my books on Amazon and every you know everywhere else that you can get books and then my my website has info on where you can watch the different shows and, and documentaries and stuff too. Uh, but they're also everywhere Amazon you know the usual
0: and you make appearances as well.
1: I do. I, I make a lot of appearances. You can book me for stuff. I have a whole booking tab on different lectures that I give, can presentations as well as like storytelling sessions and author visits and things like that.
0: But again, we know that uh, a cemetery probably isn't the best place to do a paranormal investigation. But if you had, to, had the opportunity to visit one grave site uh, and do an EVP session, whose grave site would you pick?
1: Yeah, so I definitely thought about it and I do and and just to also mention, uh, some of the most haunted places I I've, I've been to have in fact been cemeteries ironically, but um I thought about it and this is a cheesy answer, but I would visit my grandmother's grave mm. um because I know it's womp, womp but yes.
0: I I think um, it's beautiful. I
1: have felt that she has been with me throughout my life she died when I was about five and uh I would honestly just ask her if it's been her you know this whole time whenever I have that weird feeling like she might be there like is it is it really you are you watching over me and how does that work like if somebody if you have somebody who's passed on that's watching over you like how does that actually uh how does that actually work? So that, those would be my my questions. But um, but I have been to Paris. I did want to mention that I have been to Jim Morrison's grave. Oh, wow. I just felt compelled to say that so that I had a cool celebrity uh, reference. You know, but yeah.
0: Let's talk about <laughs> her. Yeah, let's talk about your book Marilyn Ghosts because uh, it's actually more than ghosts. From what I understand, the subhead is uh, paranormal encounters in the free state. Is Maryland a particularly? Uh, active state when it comes to paranormal phenomenon?
1: I would certainly say so. Uh, Maryland's got a very rich history. It's got colonial history. It has, uh, you know, pre-colonial history, the Native American history. It's got the Civil War history. It's got revolutionary. It's got everything. Um, it's a super-packed state. I mean, that you know, you've got all of the legends of the East Coast. You've got the mountains. You've it got farmland. So it has a lot of the different elements of... Um, where urban legends are born and things like that, too. So I didn't feel that lucky. I felt a little bit lucky when I was growing up there. But now, you know, I'm especially nostalgic about what a cool place it was. And writing the book was fun because I reached out to everybody for, you know, uh, family, friends, uh, ghost hunting groups, strangers, and just to try to collect people's, like, true encounters, just cool things that happened to them. Cool, interesting, scary, and I got some real interesting feedback, and it was it was just a lot of fun to write.
0: Can you share a story or two with us?
1: Sure. So, um, actually, I'm staring at the table of contents uh, right now because it just there are so many things. Um, uh, do, do do do. I did get some. Interesting stories from my uncle Bernie, um, who is a Vietnam War veteran, so we're celebrating our you know commemorating Veterans Day today. and I always think of him. Um, he has had an interesting life with a lot of paranormal experiences. So he sent me multiple encounters. and uh, one of them was about um, seeing some UFOs. And I reached out, I had reached out to my aunt as well, and she had sent me a story about witnessing a UFO on an old back road, um, down in like Prince George's County. Uh, and UFO sightings are, are common around like the Washington DC area as well as up closer to, like, Frederick near, like, the Camp David area as well. People, like, commonly see them around there. And I never knew growing up that that they had had uh, encounters of seeing different, like, literal uh, flying saucers. So, like, the classic flying saucer in a field taking off with, like, the bright flashing lights and then um, other types of, uh, craft too, like cigar shaped craft and some of the more like nuanced descriptions of UFOs that you hear about if you read books or, or watch about it on, or, you know, watch the shows on TV. So, um, that was an interesting gem. Um, should I keep going? Because yeah. you know, don't so, let me get started, no, or else I'm going to start like reading the whole book.
0: Yeah, no, um, it's okay. I, I, um, I mean, the interesting thing here is that uh, you've you've collected not just ghost stories, but you've collected UFO stories. I think there's some cryptid stories uh, also uh, there. Um, so let's 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 to maybe tell one of each. You, you, you mentioned a UFO story. Give us a ghost story.
1: I'll give you a ghost story. So. Um, there is an old road called St. Mary's Church Road in Bel Air, which is where I grew up, and I had reached out to my high school friends for any of their encounters, and I had always found St. Mary's Church Road to be really creepy, and my friend Jen submitted a story uh, about a time where she was driving home late from work and took that particular road as kind of like a back road uh way to get home and she had her friend in the car uh with them it wasn't that late they weren't particularly you know tired or anything and uh but it was dark outside and they passed by they knew they were going to pass by this creepy abandoned house that was on that road that had all sorts of legends about it and the usual sort of like a father murdered the whole family and then killed himself kind of thing uh and they said that as they were driving by their headlights actually shined onto a little boy standing on the side of the road who was completely covered in blood or or mud or they couldn't tell what and like as soon as they passed him they slammed on the brakes and turned around to see if he needed help and he was he was gone he wasn't there anymore And they had they hadn't made it far enough for anything to have happened to the boy for him to run away if he was really there or you know if he was a real person, Um, and so I found that fascinating.
0: Those stories are always fascinating. They're the kind of stories that give you that little chill down the spine too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's those roads you know that you drive down mm-hmm. every day, and you get a weird feeling about them sometimes. But they really are just like you know, just these old, cute roads in a small town. But people have these wild stories, and then you and then you actually talk to somebody, then you know somebody who has that firsthand account.
0: What about a Bigfoot or another type of cryptid story? Is that first of all, is are there a lot of reports of that kind of activity in Maryland?
1: There's a there's a book about uh, Bigfoot in Maryland that I forget uh, the name of the author, but there have been interesting Bigfoot sightings. And the thing that is remarkable about them is apparently that they leave behind footprints that only have I think like three toes or something like that, um, and they're smaller. So you know how like there's the theory that uh, Bigfoot size changes, like the big Sasquatchy guys are on the west coast and Mm -hmm. then as you get further to the east coast they become more and more like chimp like or they become smaller and you know until you get to like the florida um i forget what they call it but uh you know things that could actually be you know we had we i grew up around, around a lot of legends that uh they were like escaped um, military experiments because people would see things that were actually more chimp-like or that looked like gorillas or orangutans and maybe even mistake them for those things, and then other people would say, no, it's Bigfoot. But then tracks that would be found would have like three three toes... Um, which doesn't match any living um, animal. Uh, so yeah, there there are Bigfoot sightings in Maryland, and I had one just a mini story that somebody had sent me, similar to what I was just talking about, that was seen in like a forest outside of Frederick, uh, near Camp David, and then I also grew up near Aberdeen Proving Ground, and that's where you would really hear those kinds of tales.
0: Maryland. I think, if I remember correctly, was the fictional home of the film The Blair Witch Project. Was that supposed to have taken place in Burkittsville, Maryland? Yeah,
1: and Burkittsville is a very creepy, weird little place. I actually did get a story from the Burkittsville area because it's near South Mountain, which was a place where there was like a Civil War skirmish that occurred. And uh, Burkittsville really capitalized on... You know, they were selling little trinkets and handmade dolls and stuff, those little stick dolls, for for years, I heard, after the movie was made. Um, But And the house that they filmed in is actually near, is in, like, Potomac, Maryland, I think. So it's a couple hours away from Burkittsville. And my parents took me to that house when I was about 13 so we could see where the, the movie was filmed. And that was neat because it was near like an abandoned like missile silo. So that are you, whole ta- thing are you talking about the, the
0: house? The house that appears in the end of the film.
1: Yeah, the yeah. House? So yeah. you know, the movie is fictional. It's not based. It's not based on anything. But the actual town of Burkittsville is creepy and cool. And then the house. They did film in a real abandoned house in Maryland um but it just it's not anywhere near Burkittsville so it's about 2 hours 2 or 3 hours away from there but still in a really cool creepy location. It's so,
0: uh, it's actually one of my favorite uh, horror films and a lot of people don't it's like amazing. it. They, yeah, I think it's I, great. I
1: yeah, you know I, yeah, it's that's another one people could argue about it and I just I thought it was really neat. I first of all, I loved it and then people in Maryland were confused as hell for years. People were asking each other <laughs> if it was real or not. Yeah. And there are people who I think do believe you know, who get their their facts mixed up. But it was definitely a work of fiction. But yeah, and and got, it really cap- it captured that spirit, though.
0: Yeah, and I want to be clear. I'm talking about the 1999 version. There have been several versions since that just don't have the same effect. And that first one, they, you know, they they had a guerrilla marketing campaign, and they made people yeah. believe that this was actually just uh, a bunch of found footage, as, you know, the style indicates, um, of some, some kids that went into the woods, and this is what happened to them.
1: Yeah, I just I, it was really brilliant. You know, it, I loved it.
0: Yeah, it was. Are you a, are you a Halloween junkie like many of us? I am, and many that listen to this program are.
1: Oh yes, yes for sure. <laughs>
0: um, we just obviously, uh, you know, came off of Halloween here. Um, I don't know how how you celebrate. We often talk about horror films and scary movies and ghost stories. Um, I'm I'm assuming you probably do a lot of the same things.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I start because October is usually insane for me with like events um and, you know, speaking uh, gigs and stuff like that. And I'd also give ghost tours here in Chicago. So I start, we decorate here in like mid-September and we still have our decorations up now because we do spooky season like kind of before and after. And then, but every year on Halloween, I reserve that night just for myself. And like I stay home with my husband and we eat candy and watch movies and just act like kids.
0: There's been a a resurgence and you've been had your hand in it a little bit, but a resurgence in paranormal television uh, on yeah. channels like the Travel Channel, which, you know, at one point was a travel <laughs> channel. It was actually about traveling,
1: I, I <laughs> <It's>, remember. <laughs> and now it's almost, yeah.
0: uh, not entirely, but man, they have a uh, heavy uh weighted toward paranormal programming. And, um, you know, there's been a real resurgence in this stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, man, I, I, I feel like I do have, I have mixed feelings about it, you know, and I feel like I've been part of the problem and part of the solution. And it's sort of like a, blessing and a curse type situation i um i feel like you know obviously people love it cuz they keep on watching it and they keep on making these shows and it's fascinating but sometimes it sometimes it opens up questions and other times i feel like it plants really bad negative false ideas in the public mind and it's you know sensationalizes things or scares people um not scares people, but, you know, has everybody thinking that their house is haunted by demons or something like that, so, uh, but it's also given a lot of people the opportunity to join the community of people who are interested in the paranormal, so I have I have very mixed feelings about it. I also empathize with some of the people who are on those TV shows who are always accused of being fakes and stuff like that, because uh, I know that that's not really true and there's a lot that goes on in the back end and production and stuff like that so i really try to emphasize with the people who are on these tv shows who are coming from a real place and who are you know probably you know passionate about what they do whether you know others agree with it or not so i will say that i do enjoy watching the shows so i will not lie you, I, I like to tune in <laughs> what do
0: you say to the and i've and i've been involved For you no know, full disclosure here i've been involved with shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Nation. Um, So I'm involved in this industry as well. Um, Sure. But I hear the same criticism from a lot of people. You know, those who offer criticism say, um, you know, we've had high-quality cameras now pointing into dark rooms for like 15 years, and yet we still don't have anything better than a hard-to-hear EVP or, you know, some type of very difficult-to-see shadow or a thermal image that can or may or may not be something. Um, where is this uh, capturing a full bodied apparition on uh, on a camera? Why hasn't that happened yet?
1: Right. You know, I and like. My thing that I try to explain to people is that you can capture something awesome. You can capture an excellent crisp EVP, and then by the time it's processed through so many different filters and audio programs and it gets sent to a network and the network plays it on television, it might sound like a garbled bunch of nonsense. Uh, The photo that you take might look really cool when you look on it on your computer screen, and then by the time it makes it to a TV screen in somebody's house or streaming on their screen, it looks ridiculous. And then I also still believe in what I said earlier, which is a quote I steal from uh, my friend Adam Seltzer, which is that there's no such thing as good ghost evidence, only cool ghost evidence, because people are the harshest. People who do believe and don't believe are going to be the harshest critics, so no matter what they're presented with, they're always going to think, if it's really good, it's fake. Um, otherwise it, it goes into the trash pile of all the stuff that's like, oh yeah, well you guys haven't caught anything good yet. Um, so it's like, you're damned if you do. And if you don't, and I've seen excellent, some of the presentations and con- conferences I've been to, I've seen absolutely excellent footage of what I do believe were like full, full body operations and things like that. So, um, there's not really a platform other than television to really share that on like a national level it's not like we all go to like scientific conferences together and jur- submit to journals or anything there's the community is still kind of grassroots even after all these years so
0: it's a good perspective we're out of time amelia it's been a great conversation what is your next project what should people be looking for and again give your contact information
1: Oh, boy. Um, Tune in to the Travel Channel for yet another show called Hometown Horror on December 2nd. Um, And uh, catch me at my website at ameliacotter.com. And catch up with me on Facebook and Twitter for all of the latest. And hopefully I'll have some cool new books and stories coming out in the new year.
0: Thanks so much for being here tonight.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I see a lot of people in chat talking about Ghostbusters. I just find it curious that... uh... I think it was just announced. I don't know if it's fake news or not, but Bill Murray's going to be involved in the new Ghostbusters project. You hear anything about that? Wow. Well, you know, um, Ivan Reitman, of course, is no longer with us, which is a tragedy. Um, so whatever they're going to do won't have him. Are you talking the- about Harold Ramis? Who did I say? Ivan Reitman. I'm sorry. Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, yeah. <laughs> I knew who you meant. <laughs> yeah, he he is. no. Yeah, d- he, was, uh, he directed it, too. He did. He? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I loved uh, Harold Ramos from the old SCTV days. I don't know yeah. if you ever saw any of that stuff. Him, John Candy. Dan Aykroyd. No. Dan Aykroyd oh, wasn't so, there. So Eugene you know Levy. What? I'm just not going to talk. I'm yeah, not, I'm not know, getting anything you, right. you didn't know Bungle in the Jungle. There's a whole bunch of things you and I need to chat about. All right. <laughs> That's going to do it for tonight. Tomorrow night, we'll be talking with Corin Grillo, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Angel Experiment and the uh, difference between being Angel Curious and Angel Powered. That's tomorrow night's program on Beyond Reality Radio. We'll see you then.